Thank you for joining us at Luminous Church. And this morning, we hope that you see Jesus clearly. Good morning, Luminous Church. Man, I love my family. I love my spiritual family. I love that we get together and we spend time together as a family on Sunday mornings. We get together as a community group and we spend time together. But how many of you know that when we spend time as a family, sometimes the ladies got to get away from the men and the men got to get away from the ladies a little bit. We got you know, to spend some time with some bro time. I got to go in the garage with David, get my curls on and get going right here. Now, ladies, you know, I don't know what y'all talk about. It's a mystery to me. But y'all still, y'all go in the kitchen. I don't know. Y'all go someplace and y'all talk. I don't know. <laughs> don't take that offensively. Don't take that offensively. <laughs> but this time, you're not going to the kitchen. You're going to the if gathering. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, the if gathering. But I just wanted to encourage you, ladies, go to the youth gathering. It's awesome. It's going to be a special time where God's going to have a special message just for you. And I would just encourage you, after the service, go out into the foyer right there. And we're going to have a table, and it's all pretty. I designed it myself. I put lace on it. I, I bought these antique books, and I, I set them in the right way right here. You know, they're really pretty. They're just to draw you in, right? So just after service, if you're interested in the youth gathering, go ahead and go sign up and admire my lace that I put out there. <laughs> I've got some mixed emotions this morning. I'm serious, I've got some mixed emotions. First off, I'm a little relieved, okay? I'm relieved because this was my first series that I started and I'm gonna finish on my own. And so I was a little, felt a little unqualified myself. I felt a little like, oh man, I don't know if I can do this. But I made it. This is the last Sunday right here. And so because of that, I'm also sad, sad. Because it's my last Sunday. And I don't know. I don't know if Ben's going to let me back up here again. I don't know. But mostly, I'm excited. Because God's got some big things for us. And he wants to bring this series. And he wants to take Unqualified. And he wants to wrap a bow around it. And he wants to tell you how you can be validated. Because that's what this series is about. It's about validation. The first couple of weeks, we talked about this poor guy named Jacob and how he just did not know how to get validated. He kept doing the wrong thing. Kept manipulating his brother, he steals the birthright, and then he, de he deceives his dad. He puts on these, this mask, this clothes, to pretend to be his brother so that he can steal the blessing. He just keeps doing all these wrong things because he wants to get validated. And I, and I was thinking about this week, as I was preparing for this message, I was thinking about validation, I was thinking about times in my life, and it took me back to high school. And that's a strange thing, because most of us, if you remember in high school, do not feel very validated in high school. We're all still trying to figure out who we are. We don't really know what's going on. We don't know who we are. We, don't, we want our friends to like us. We don't know if they like us. Are they talking behind my back? You know, all these different things. But it took me back to my Greek class. Yes, I took New Testament Greek in high school, which tells you that I went to a private school. And say what you will, but I'm proud that I went to a private school. But I was a nerd because, see, this class wasn't even required. But I took my study hall time to go to this Greek class. So I wasn't even required to be there, and yet I took my free time and I said, no, I want to do that. Because I was overzealous. Because I was also in Spanish class. 
I took Spanish every year of junior high and high school, and now I can speak it fluently. No. <laughs> I don't speak it very well at all. But I had this you know, bold notion, okay, I'm gonna learn Spanish, and I'm gonna learn this language that no one speaks anymore. So I go, and my teacher's putting it on, gives us these books, and, and I was super pumped about it. Super stoked. And I had, a, I had this habit of doing this in life. I get super excited about something, I was so passionate about it. People be like, Jay Tom, what are you passionate about? I'd be like, let me tell you, New Testament Greek. <laughs> and I'd be so passionate about it, tell people about it, but oh man, I gotta do this. I also did it with martial, mixed martial arts. Like, I gotta go do karate. I'm gonna be a karate master. And then without fail, I would spend two weeks doing it, and the, then the exotic nature of it would wear off, the moment, the newness of it would wear off, and then the work has to start. And that's about the time that you'd see Jayton jetting out the door, and he's done. So with Greek, I only lasted two weeks in my New Testament Greek class. And I also speak it fluently now as well. But I did learn a few things in the two weeks I was there. One of them was interesting to me, my teacher thought it'd be a great idea in class like, to translate our names into Greek, and then we would call each other by our Greek names instead of our English names. So he takes the first week of class, it's probably the first day, and he writes it out on a piece of paper, he writes out our names, and he gives mine to me. And I read it, or I try to read it, and it said, I pronounce it Jacobo. And I was like, that's kind of weird. That doesn't sound like James. And he goes, that's because it's not James. I was like, okay, what? He goes, because James really isn't James. What James is, is the Greek form, is the English form of the Greek word, Jacobo, which is the Hebrew word, Jacob. <laughs> oh, this was devastating to me. Devastating. Because as you've heard the past two weeks, growing up, I didn't like Jacob. And obviously, this says something about me. I'm Jacob now. No! My high school career is over! People are clearly going to think that I have a habit of putting on goat skin and stealing things from my brother. But, so, of course, like I always do, I spun, I spun it. You know, I had, to, I, got to, I had to get ahead of this. I had to put a spin on it to make it okay. You know, I didn't want people to know. So what I did is I just made a joke out of it, right? So then also my middle name's Thomas. Thomas is also famous in the Bible for something. <laughs> so then I went through high school and I tell, hey, did you know my name is the, the doubtful deceiver? <laughs> Isn't that funny? And I'd spin it and I'd make it funny because otherwise I'd hope people would point at me and laugh. <laughs> but that's what we do. And here I go, you know, I can't, I keep, I never give Jacob a break. All of the first, the first two weeks, I'm just, I'm poking at him. I'm bringing up all of his bad laundry, talking about all the things he did wrong. And here I am starting off another message and I'm doing the same thing again. Talking about how Jacob is just, I don't want to be associated with Jacob. I don't want to be like Jacob. But this week I'm going to do right by Jacob. We're going to talk about finally how Jacob finally gets validated. How he finally starts doing the right things instead of all the wrong things. So if you'll turn with me to Genesis 28, verses 10 through 17. 
28, 10 through 17. And Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay it down in, in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and on top of it it reached heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I'm with you. you I'm with you and you will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. It's pretty awesome. I'd say I'd feel pretty validated after having a dream like that. You know, I'm looking, I have this dream, I fall asleep on a rock, super comfortable. And then I, I have this dream, I look up and I see heaven open up and you see this ladder, this huge ladder come down and angels are coming down and back and forth, up and down. And then you see God at the top and he's basically promising you that he's never going to leave you, he's never going to forsake you. And all the things that he's promised you, he's going to be good to fulfill. That'd be pretty awesome. Oh, I'd love a dream like that. So that leads us to the conclusion, right? Like David, I mean, Jacob must have figured it out. He must have been doing some right things to get this dream. He finally did it. No! He hadn't figured it out at all. Because Jacob, this dream happens right after he's deceived his, his father and stolen the blessing. He's literally in the middle of nowhere having this dream on a rock because he's running away because his brother wants to kill him. His mom's come to him and said, you got to go. You got to get out of here because Esau's going to kill you. And so he's not done anything right at this point. This dream happens literally probably at, at Jacob's bottom, at the very bottom of Jacob, after he's done the worst thing, which is to go in, trick his dad, steal the blessing, and then run away. which basically tells us that my first point, which is we don't get validated by what we do. Because if we did, Jacob would not be validated. Because everything he's done up to this point, like we reviewed in the last two weeks, has been wrong. He's literally at the bottom of his life, of what he's done. And this is the moment that God reveals himself to Jacob and shows this powerful image of him at the, in heaven and speaking life over Jacob and telling him what his plans and his purposes are for Jacob. But it doesn't, kind of, doesn't really seem fair. right? Why does Jacob get this blessing after all this bad stuff he's done? But it's really a good thing. Because if, if it was because of the good things that we do that we get blessed by God, we get validated by God, then none of us would be validated by God. The fact that Jesus and God would reveal themselves to Jacob and say, 
I want to validate you at his worst gives us all hope. Because it's not about on me. It's not on me to get my validation. I don't have to do the right things to get this validation. Otherwise, I'd be in a world of hurt. So it's a hope. It's hopeful. You've heard me saying for the last few weeks that Jacob is this guy that's looking for validation and he's doing it in all the wrong ways. He's doing all the bad things, all the wrong things, trying to get this validation. He's got kind of like this Lonely Hearts Club thing going on, looking for love in all the wrong places. But the problem with that like line of thinking, that statement that I made, is it kind of implies that there's a right way, there's a right thing, a good thing that he has to do to get validation. And that's just not true. There's nothing we can do of our own actions, our own volition, that will get us validated. So that leaves us with the question, what is it that validates us? It's not our actions. What is it? We only receive validation, not from what we do, but from who we know. Who we know. I want to give you an example of this. It's pretty simple, but just to give you an idea of that, it's not what we do, but what, who we know that validates us. So who in here is a fan of some this artist? Her name, I think it starts with an A, Adele. Anyone's a fan? Can I hear an Adele fans out there? Let's just say that for the sake of argument, I'm the biggest Adele fan in the world. I got Adele posters in my wall. Jill's kind of confused by this. I got Adele shirts in my closet. I got one on right now. No, don't look. You know. I love Adele. Let's say I just love Adele. Let's say I love Adele so much that I tell everyone how much I love Adele. Her new album comes out, 25 drops. I'm like, you got to get this album. This is the greatest album of all time. Michael Jackson, move over. No, no. -uh. Jay-Z, no, no. Adele, Adele all the way. And so I start pushing her out. I start telling all my friends to buy it. I review it on every website you can review it on. Five stars across the board. I'd give 100 if I could. And say, I'm an Adele expert too. I know all of her, all of her facts. I know all, everything about her. And so one day I get lucky and I call into a radio station or whatever and win a competition. And I get backstage passes to an Adele concert because of all the stuff that I know about her. So then I show up at the concert and I'm walking past all the people in their nosebleed sections. And I'm like, check it, <laughs> backstage passes, hello. Hello from the other side. <laughs> oh yeah, Adele. I'm gonna be singing with Adele. She's calling me up on the stage. I'm gonna sing with her. And then I get backstage, right? And I get to, maybe I even get to meet Adele. And I'm just acting like a fool. Get to meet Adele, maybe. I walk up to him like, Adele, I'm your biggest fan. I'm J Tom. <laughs> and what would she do? Airway stalker, yes. <laughs> Basically, I've seen you on my message boards. No. She might, she politely take my hand and say, nice to meet you. And that would be it, right? So with all those efforts, the greatest Adele fan in the world, the best they can do is just a handshake. But what about Adele's family? 
Do they need a backstage pass? No. What does Adele's family have to do? Hey, I'm her cousin. Just ask Adele. And Adele will look down the hallway from her green room and she'll see her and she's like, oh yeah, that's my cousin, let her in. And whereas I have done all this work and I know everything about Adele and I'm dressed like Adele to the night. I'm like, I got a shirt, I got, I got yoga pants on, I'm rocking Adele stuff. Yoga pants, that's what Adele fans wear. That's what I, that's what I wear. <laughs> but the most I can do is just get a handshake. I don't, I know, and I know everything about her. I know her favorite color. I know her favorite number. I know her birthday. I send her a birthday card every year. <laughs> but do I know her? Do I really know her? Because if I really knew her, if I was family, if I was a close friend, I wouldn't need all that stuff. I just go to the back door, knock, and I get let right in. And I get everything Adele gets. I get to go in their green room. I get to eat the food that they give her. I get to go on stage. I don't have, I don't have to have a pass. Because she validates me. And she says, yeah, I know him. And Jesus does the same thing. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, Jesus was saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So just like me, just like me, the Adele fanatic, you can do tons of things for someone or about somebody. You can be even a super evangelist and be like pushing you know, like I was as the Adele fan, I'm pushing the album. And maybe you're that way with Jesus, right? And you're just doing all these great things for Jesus. You're out there and I'm praying for people. And maybe I'm telling people how great Jesus is. But if you never know him, what does Jesus say? It says, depart from me. Because it's not about what we do. It's about who you know. So we must know Jesus. Like I know my best friend or I know my wife. Gotta know them, and that's beyond the facts. That's beyond knowing about their favorite color. There's a thing about knowing somebody that, that's almost intangible. You can't put it into words. But I can tell you what it looks like. To know somebody takes time. You gotta spend time together. You gotta spend time talking. If I, if I if married my wife and I never spoke to her, even though I know everything about her history, do I still know my wife? Do I know her feelings? Do I know what she wants and her dreams and her desires? No. We have to spend time. It's intimacy. And that's what Jesus wants because that's what he made us for, is relationship. We're not workers. We're family. So take that time. That's what I'm encouraging you. If you don't know Jesus, if you want to spend time with Jesus, start making the effort. Start, start spending that time. Prayer. Prayer is not something that, that you just have to mark off your, your checklist of like doing this thing and be holy. Prayer is conversation with the Lord. 
where you go to God and you, you bear your soul and you say, these are what I want. These are my dreams. These are my desires. And then you stop and you listen to what he says. If I just talk the whole time to Jill, that's not a relationship. I have to stop and pause and let her speak to me and listen. We need to spend time listening to Jesus if we want to know him. We've got to spend time thinking about it. I think about Jill. I do things for Jill, right? Yeah. It's not just, and it, this is where it can get confusing a little bit because I said this, that we don't get validation from what we do, but we get it from who we know. But then we, our automatic response sometimes is to think, okay, so I don't have to do anything. I can just be me. As long as I just am trying to get to know Jesus, I'm good. No. There is a truth about doing things well and doing things and being excellent in the things you do. But we don't do that in order to become intimate with someone. Excellency is a result of intimacy. So think about like the Adele family example. Her family probably is her biggest fans too. But there's something not weird about that. Right? <laughs> I'm the freak. I'm the weirdo. Right? I'm the one that's screaming her name. And she's like, get away from me. But her family, I bet they tell everyone about their cousin's musical talents. Her mom's probably telling all of her friends about how proud of her daughter she is. And they're pushing, you know, they're, they're like, to use a Christian term, they're her biggest evangelist, but it's not weird, it's okay, it's pure. Because they have that relationship, and they love her, and they know her, they know her dreams, they know how much work she's put into, into her career. And so that's the thing about Christians, like us, as followers of Jesus. Too many of us in our life have been doing the work of God and not known and the problem with that is, is it doesn't pass the smell test for those who don't know Jesus. It's not genuine. It's not from our heart. It feels weird. Just like that the fanatic, the fan fanatic person of Adele. It looks weird and people are like, I don't want to have anything to do with that person. But when it comes from your heart, when it comes from this place of, I have this relationship with the creator of the universe, my savior, Jesus, and I know him, and then when we go and we talk about him, it's from this normal, natural place. And it draws people in. They're like, okay, maybe I do want to know this Jesus. Because I see his effect, I see him in your life. So spend time, be intimate with Jesus. Pray with him, get into his word. Because he's written, think of the Bible not as this book of like lists of things to do, the right and the wrong. But think of it like this. Think of it as a letter that the God of the universe has penned and written directly to you, saying, here's who I am. Because that's what the Bible is. It's God's letters to mankind, where he's telling us about who he is, his dreams for us, his hopes for us, because he's a good father. And it's like a dad who's writing a letter to his son. He said, I'm proud of you, son. My birthday was on Wednesday. And <laughs> thank you. Uh, one of my, I got the best gift. My wife um, got everyone that was close to me to write a letter to me and to tell me, just to affirm me, and to tell me what they think about me. And all my closest friends wrote that to me, and I loved it. I got to read every single one of them. Chantal helped her put it together, so it was awesome. 
But my dad wrote me one too. And he wrote to me and he told me about how proud he was of his son. And he told me about how he picked me up in his arms when I was first born and he held me and how he's impressed to pray for me and pray to, to give me to the Lord basically because he just felt even as I was born that I was gonna, I had a call on my life. He's just detailing these things and he said that, that I've exceeded all of his hope. And I know I'm not perfect, but I haven't done, I've done a lot of wrong. It's not about what I did though. It was my relationship with my father. And I loved it. And it just, it made me feel affirmed and validated. And that's what the Bible is to us. It's our God, our Father, our Heavenly Father is writing a letter to you, just like my dad did for my birthday. He's telling you who you are. So read it. And don't read it as like a, an obligation. Read it to get to know your Father. We all want to know our dad. Intimacy brings excellency. And the reason we have to know our Father, the reason we have to know Jesus in order to be validated, to have that relationship with him, is apart from him, there is no validation. It's impossible. You can't get it. It's not that he's saying, we like to come at it and people who have some issues with the Lord are like, well, why would God just give it to me? Why do I have to go know him? It's not that he's just refusing and he's a selfish guy. He's like, no, only if you get to know me, only if you worship me, only if you spend time with me will I validate you. That's not it. It's that he can't give it to you because apart from him, it doesn't exist. There is no validation apart from him because the truth is, is if we're not in God, if we don't know God, then we don't matter. And that's why all of us, really the day we're born, walk around with this pit, this hole in our chest that says, I got it, and we're desperate for validation. And that's what leads us to do all these wrong ways. We, we start focusing on our, our possessions, what we have, trying to fill that hole. Or we start focusing on what we do, our position, to try to fill that hole. And then also we try to look at the way people look at us and our perception to try to fill that hole. And you know what? Every single one of them fails. Because God is not in those. We must be in that relationship with our Father to be validated. Which leads me to my third point. When we receive the validation we are all seeking, big things happen. Big things happen. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. We see a moment where Jesus validates one of his disciples. He says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. I love this passage because it's the first time one of the disciples have realized who Jesus is. Peter's been with Jesus for several years now. This is later in Jesus's ministry. This is closer to his crucifixion than at the beginning of his relationship. But this is the first time that Peter has declared that Jesus is the Son of God. And with that, he's the Messiah. And he's come to restore man to God. But Peter's been doing other things before this. Peter's been doing good things. He's been baptizing people. He's been even praying for people and seeing them healed. But it's this moment when he declares who Jesus is that Jesus then turns and says, blessed are you. And he renames him. And it's important to know what he renamed him. Because see, before, his name was Simon, which basically meant reed, or that which is an old word for grass, which implied that he was just this weak thing that when the wind blew, he just swayed back and forth. He was just swayed by any wind, anything that pushed against him. He just, he just crumbled. And then Jesus says, no longer are you Simon, but you're Peter. And Peter means rock. He's solid. And why was he solid? Because he finally had recognized who Jesus was. And he declared and he says, you're the son. And he knew Jesus. And through that, he was validated. Jesus said, not only did he, not only did he rename him and restore him and bless him and, and validate him, but then Jesus also declared the things that he was going to do through Peter. And he said, you're going you're gonna to hold the keys you're going to be able to bind things on earth and loose things on earth and bind things in heaven and loose things on earth. And basically what he's talking about is he's saying, I'm going to establish my church through you, built on the rock of Jesus Christ, built on me. But I'm going to use you as my instrument to go into the, all the earth and to spread my truth and spread my gospel. And he's going to use Peter to bless the entire world, as well as the other disciples. So big things happen when we know our God. First off, he validates us. He fills that hole of us wanting to matter, to know that we matter, that it matters that we existed. But then he also restores us. And he takes us from our brokenness, like Simon, who was a, a reed that, was just, that would blow anywhere in the wind, and he restores him to the rock where he's unshakable. And not only does he restore us, but then he empowers us to go and do his work and do powerful things. This isn't the only time in scripture that he does this. He did it to Jacob. Way back in the first week when we talked about that, where God comes to Jacob and he's wrestling with Jacob. And he's wrestling with Jacob not because Jacob is holding on to God, but because God is forcing Jacob to submit to him because he loves Jacob. And Jacob finally does. And Jacob says, it says in Hosea that Jacob, through, through tears and prayers, came to the Lord and said, you're basically, you're my God, bless me. And in that moment, he recognized who God was. Because what's interesting, in Scripture, up to this point, Jacob has never referred to God as his God. 
He's always referred to God as the God of my father. But this is the moment where he recognizes God as his God. And in that, that's when God comes. And we see the same thing that happened to Peter, happened to Jacob. Not only is Jacob that hole finally validated, finally filled, but he's restored. And he's restored from Jacob, the deceiver, to Israel. He's renamed Israel, which means triumphant with God. And then he empowers Jacob. And he tells him what he's going to do through Jacob, which is that he's going to establish a nation of people, which ultimately his son would be born through, that Jesus would come. So this is what the Lord does for us. Big things happen when we give in, when we submit to him, when we know him, when we recognize him. The worship team will come up if they could. I think it's interesting too that in both the story of Peter and Jacob, that God gives this new name to both of them. And I think the reason he gives a new name is because it represents the fact that the old is gone and the new has come. That the old Simon, who was weak and flawed and broken and looking for his Savior, was gone. And what remained was Peter, who was solid in Christ, who was found in Christ, who had been saved in Christ, who had been restored. And the same for Jacob, the deceiver, the man who's looking for validation in all the wrong places. The usurper has been replaced. He's been restored and empowered and he's become Israel, triumphant with God. But it would be tempting in these moments, right, to, to, to focus so much on those names, and to think like, okay, I've been renamed, the old's gone, the new's here, and just to think that everything's going to get better. That all of a sudden, all those things that I struggled with before are no more. And I'll never struggle again. I'll never be looking for validation in the wrong places again. It'd be really easy to do that. But that's just not reality. When he renames us, it's because it's the truth that in the eternal, we've been changed and we're new. And he's, and he's good to fill it out. But we're still going to struggle. We're still going to learn. We're still going to be flawed because we need Jesus. We need to be found in him. It's not that, bam, I know Jesus this one moment and now everything is going to be perfect. Because we need him. And you see this. You see this even played out in scripture. You'd think that even God himself would just call Jacob Israel from then on. Never call him Jacob again. Because Jacob was the, the one who, who God didn't want. That Israel was the one that God wanted. But that's not what we see. All throughout scripture, God calls him by both names. He calls him Jacob one moment, then he calls him Israel the next. What I think this means is that we see it come to fruition at the very end when Moses, over 400 years later, when God has come to Moses and he's saying, I want you to go and rescue my people from slavery. And Moses says, well, who am I supposed to tell them that you are? And God says, I'm the God of your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I think he said that because he wanted people to know that he, it's not that he doesn't need, it's not that he hated Jacob. He loved Jacob. He loves Jacob, and he's just as much the God of the broken Jacob as he is the God of the triumphant Israel. So it's not that God has to come in and take us as these broken pieces and just kind of fix us into something that's manageable. He loves to take the broken 
and make powerful things happen. And that's the ultimate picture of this Unqualified series. That's why there's a heart behind me of broken pieces that have been shaped into a heart because that's what God does is he takes broken people and he restores them and does powerful things through them, even in their brokenness. He doesn't need perfect people who do everything right or do all the good things. He needs people who know him and love him and will allow him to work through them. God loves broken people because he comes to come in and heal and to fix and restore. Let's just take a moment and bow our heads. If that's you, if you've struggled, if this message or any of the previous two is something that you've that's resonated with you, that you've desired to find validation, and you realize like you're looking in all the wrong places, you've done all the wrong things, and you've realized something touched you this morning, you say, I gotta know this Jesus. I don't wanna just know about him, I don't wanna just do the right things, I wanna know him. And I have an encouraging word for you, he wants to know you too. He wants to come and he wants to comfort you and he wants to spend time with you. He wants you to, he wants to tell you through his letters to you what he thinks about you and he wants to talk with you. He wants to restore you. He wants to give you a new name and he wants to empower you to do the things that he made you to do. So I want to give you an opportunity. If you want to know Jesus, if you've not known him in this way, well, no one's looking around, just raise your hand. Yes. I just want everyone to repeat after me in this prayer because we all need to know Jesus even those of us who have known him for years it's always good to take a moment and re reevaluate and come back to the Father and say I want to know you like I knew you in my youth so if you'll just repeat after me Father we love you thank you for using me for coming in and filling in my brokenness. Thank you for validating me. Thank you for telling me who I am and why I matter. Thank you for Jesus and his willingness to come and die for me that I might be restored to relationship with you. Jesus, I want to know you I want to love you more just as you love me. Teach me how to know you. Walk with me in this relationship and restore me. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To find out more about service times, giving, and community groups that meet throughout the week, please visit us online at luminouschurch.org.
Come to 